Welcome to Green Tea, sustainable stories from Bowdoin campus and beyond. A production of the Bowdoin Sustainability Office with your hosts, Marie Caspard and Diego Velasquez. Telling stories about sustainability from the perspective of faculty, staff, students, and Brunswick community members. This is the third episode of season two, and we're exceptionally excited to keep the ball rolling this spring semester with our guests, talking about their connection to sustainable food systems, the nexus of spirituality and environmentalism. The conversation with our guest today is a, is a continuation of episode 2.2 with Eduardo Pazos Palma. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, find it on iTunes, SoundCloud, or the Bone Sustainability page, or wherever you get your podcasts. Episodes will be posted on the Bone Sustainability website the Friday following their airing on WBOR. Find this episode there, as well as all of Season 1 and Season 2, th- this Friday, February 28th, at bowden.edu slash sustainability slash green tea podcast. Today, Diego and I are speaking with Lauren Hickey, Bowdoin Class of 2020, about the connection between spirituality and environmentalism, um, and kind of how religion informs her sense of sustainability. You can find her column titled Spiritualness... <laughs> religuary. <laughs> it's really hard to say. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> religuary and the Search for Meaning, published <laughs> by bi-weekly in the Bowdoin Orient online or in print. Oh my god. That is a crazy title. <laughs> but the, the words are like combinations of each other. Right. <laughs> Religuality, spirituousness. Right. Oh my god. That's clever. Blurring the lines between religion oh and spirituality. Oh my god. Oh. Love that. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> Point. <laughs> well, nice. Lauren, um, welcome to Green Tea. Thank you. I'm really excited <laughs> to be here. <laughs> We're very curious about the title of your project, but also its contents. Um, we'll <laughs> can we start that. a bit with your background, uh, both religious and environmental? And I don't know, yeah. moving from there, we can, I don't know, get a better picture of who Lauren Hickey is, the author. Yeah. Okay. So um, I think it's important probably to start with my religious background because I think that kind of um, informs my environmentalism and probably not the other way around as much. Um, so I was raised Catholic. Um, my father comes from a long line of Catholics, Irish Catholics. Um, my mom is Lutheran, um, but together they decided to raise my sisters and I in the Catholic church. Um, so we uh, went to church a lot um, when I was little. And when I was little, I would go kicking and screaming. I really <laughs> did not. Like, they would have to drag me out of bed. Um, but oddly enough, there was, like, a shift, I think, in high school where I got more involved with, like, um, this, like, teen-oriented program called Life Teen that my church um, was a part of. It's, like, a nationwide program um, to kind of make, like, religion more exciting, I guess. Um <laughs> So after, after mass, we would go and have dinner, um, a bunch of the teens and like, we would do some sort of like applied reading of the Bible or like, um, talk about a specific issue. And I got into that kind of, um, with a, com- a couple friends. And so we went on retreats together and, um, yeah, I mean, I, some of my lifelong friends, um, I, or I just like formed some really deep bonds with people through church and, um, carried that into college. Um, so I was a member of, or I like joined the Catholic student union at Bowdoin, um, and have been going to Catholic masses in Brunswick. I was a volunteer at one of the local local churches, um, uh, ministering to middle schoolers. Mm -hmm. Um, I stopped that a couple years ago. Um, but I, 
still go to mass sometimes, but I think recently, like within the last couple of years, I've, I've found myself kind of at a crossroads, um, with my relationship with the Catholic church, um, which I talk a little bit about in, in my last column, um, and just how I'm kind of grappling with what the church stands for, um, as an institution and how that is in some senses in conflict with my identity, um, as a queer woman. And I think that, um, that's been kind of interesting to navigate, but like, I've found like a lot of other people who, um, are kind of going through that and are like looking for forms of meaning. And like, that's kind of why I called the column what I called it, um, like religuality and like the search <laughs> for meaning, like, cause a lot of people who define as like, uh, themselves as being spiritual, but not religious, I find really interesting, um, to talk to them about their journeys. So yeah. Um, so that's my religious journey. Um, <laughs> do you want to know about my, the, like the environmental side? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know. I'm an environmental studies major. I, um, I care a lot about the environment. Um, more specifically, I'm really passionate about like food systems and agriculture and food justice. And I think that kind of became a passion starting in high school when I did like this, I started like the school garden at my high school and that was kind of my passion project and, uh, got really involved with, um, trying to get local farmers to sell to our cafeteria and like throughout my school district. Um, and, uh, kind of carried that into Bowdoin. I lead the Bowdoin Organic Garden Club. Um, <laughs> and I'm leading an alternative spring break trip, uh, to Aroostook County where we're going to talk, Rena Harker and I are going to talk about, um, themes of like, uh, sec- food security and sustainability and stuff like that. So yeah, that's also my passion. You, you, wait, okay. Just out of curiosity, you mentioned that maybe that your like environmental sort of like background has informed your religious background less. Is there, it's like, do you care to elaborate? (laughs) I mean, I just, I, I think that my, like, if I think about it chronologically, I think religion kind of came first. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that sort of like will always inform like the work that I do, whether it's like environmentalism or like, um, I don't know, like, you name it, like, whatever job I do, I think will be kind of informed by that. Um, but I also think that, like, um, you, you could say that, like, my care for the environment does inform how I choose to be religious, and I think even more so now that, kind of how I described, like, being at this crossroads, like, Mm -hmm. um, like, kind of thinking about how it's really important to me that, like, the churches I go to, um, are, like, speak, um, or, are, like, are supportive of, like, the environmental movement and promote things like stewardship and environmental activism and climate activism, and, um, I think, like, that has become more important to me mm-hmm. now that I, like, kind of have, um, given myself permission to, like, maybe try out going, trying out, like, other religious institutions that aren't the Catholic Church, mm-hmm. um, although the Catholic Church does have, like, um, Pope Francis has like a really great encyclical on the environment where he talks about um, the need for Catholics to kind of step up their game in terms <laughs> of like, um, like, like climate activism and stuff like mm. that. Um, but yeah, I don't know if that if that answers your question. But it, it definitely goes both ways. Yeah. But but I, I always think that my religious background will inform like how I think and like mm-hmm. um, yeah. I can, it's it's hard to like undo that kind of mm-hmm. stuff because I was yeah. I, that's how I was raised. Yeah. 
Yeah, I feel like it's maybe, like, kind of on a deeper, more formative level. Yeah. 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 Um, cool. Um, so, c- kind of going back to the column, um, do you mind, like, maybe explaining a little bit more about, like, what inspired that column and, like, what exactly do you hope to get out of it and, and maybe for others as well because I mean, you do have an audience <laughs> we were talking about I this do. the other day that like a bunch There's of buzz. people yeah, <laughs> you did some buzz. <laughs> um, I feel like I almost like set the bar too high it's like <laughs> a lot of pressure to to keep that up um yeah so um I mean I think I made the decision to write a column before I made a decision about what to write about, which is interesting. Like, um, I made a, I like wanted to do a column just cause I, um, I have taken a couple of writing classes at Bowdoin and got really into like this, um, uh, this writing thing, like <laughs> this non-academic writing thing. It's like kind of cool. There's a whole nother world, world out there that isn't just like writing in the third person and like, <laughs> like really academic and esoteric stuff. Like, whoa. Oh, yeah. Um, and like writing to a real audience, like, yeah, wow. people will, <laughs> people will respond to it, not just your professor, yeah, not just my agree. professor. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, hey, my mom reads my essays. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, but then once I like decided to do the column, and I was like, all right, like second semester senior, like what 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 kind of wisdom do I have to share with them? I'm just like, no. I mean, like it's it's not like. No, it's definitely not a one-way thing. Like, I want to hear, like, or, like, I want to hear what people have to say about the things that I'm saying, and um, I think it's, like, about starting a conversation. Um, But, yeah, I think what inspired, like, the whole, this whole idea of, like, writing about spirituality is, like, what what I'm talking about with, like, how I feel like I'm sort of, like, at this crossroads where, like, I'm not sure what direction to take um, as far as, like, um, my religious identity and, like, how... How, how to express that and, like, um, it, like kind of considering, like, um, whether or not to stay with the Catholic Church or, like, find something else. Um, and I think I'm not alone in that. Like, I think that, like, there are a lot of people, mm-hmm. like, who um, are also on a similar journey, um, whether it, it's not exactly the same as mine, but I think um, people... It seems like, like, based on the responses I'm getting, it seems like people can relate um, in one sense or another. Um, and I think I also wanted to make it relatable. Like I, I wanted to kind of stretch the def- the traditional definition of what it means to be religious. Like, again, like hence the title, like, like, like what, what does religiousness mean? What does spirituality mean? Like, let's mix it up and call it like religuality. Like, wh- <laughs> like what does that all mean? And like, how can we, how can we like define that for ourselves? Mm. But yeah, I think like I started off with like a, a, broad column that was kind of opening it up but I think the goal is to get more and more specific about like talking about the intersections between religion and like environmentalism or talking about like the intersection between like religion and like um music or like like anything really um Mm -hmm. so I think the more I do that the more I can kind of show people that like um religion has many forms and manifests itself in many different ways Hmm. so Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah Do you feel like it's an opportunity for, like, you to kind of unpack your sort of, like, questions as well? Absolutely. Like, it's... Yeah. Which what is what makes it a little bit nerve-wracking to, like, <laughs> put that all out there. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I... if you, It's messy. Like, it's... It it's a process. It's it's a whole process. Um, yeah. The, it's not neat. And I think it's been really hard to write these columns because I have so many thoughts that are going in so many different directions <laughs> that it's, like, hard to 
narrow it down into 800 words. Yeah. But, yeah. Do you find that, like, the process of writing itself helps inform yeah. your opinions? Yeah, it's it's pretty cathartic, I'd say. <laughs> Stressful, but cathartic. <laughs> um, speaking about the future of this this column, so you've written two. Mm-hmm. One released last last week, two weeks ago now? Two weeks ago. The other, the second, to be released this Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, where do you see the future of this column going? Are there any specific topics that have arisen recently that you're interested in, in covering? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I've tossed around the idea, um, of like doing a Bernie Sanders reading of the Bible. Um, <laughs> cause, uh, I think it could be fun. It also is like really easy. Like, I think there's a lot of stuff in there that like has come out of Bernie's mouth before. Like, um, but I think. I, it would kind of be, like, kind of a satirical point about, like, the fact that Democrats, in my view, uh, are not doing enough to, like, kind of capture um, specifically Christian voters um, and maybe religious voters more broadly. But, um, yeah, it, it just seems to me like conservatives have a monopoly on, like, uh, the religious right. So I think mm. it would be not that hard to like try to shake that up um and i think it would just be kind of fun to do um because like i said like there's a lot in the bible that like bernie has said or could say mm-hmm. so yeah. yeah i feel like a lot of that has to do with dem- the demographics that yeah that uh both republicans and democrats do try to capture mm-hmm. but sort of in our last our last conversation and last episode with eduardo puzzles palma um we discussed the shift away from, like, traditional Judeo-Christian beliefs Mm -hmm. by millennials and younger generations towards um, something that you address in your your first column, which is the Hinduism, Buddhism, and, like, non-denominational spiritualities, um, however connected they are to their, like, religious roots. Um, So in your first column, you say... SBNR is that's spiritual but not religious people are attempting to divorce these rituals from their religious, communal, and deeply political origins and appropriate them as depoliticized, individualized practices to enhance personal performance. So what you're talking about here is people practicing yoga and meditation or other, um, I don't know, just practices in general um, that traditionally have held a religious uh, background and root. Could you talk a bit about like what the implications are for disentangling these practices from their their religious origins? Yeah, um, yeah. I'm. I don't know exactly what Eduardo said on, on this, but like him and I do have like talked about this before. Um, because, I mean, in a more in a more extreme sense, I think we're talking in terms of like appropriation, like um, this idea that like we are kind of like stealing almost like practices that have roots in um eastern religions and traditions and kind of divorcing them from those roots and then like you know like i said kind of i I think of like silicon valley people who like meditate in order to be better employees (laughs) at google (laughs) like um which is like I, i i i struggle because i'm like okay, maybe that's not inherently bad, but um, I, I do think you get into kind of sticky territory. I mean, Eduardo has, has kind of suggested before, like, his, one of his worries is that, like, um, 
that we're raising a generation of people who think that like we invented meditation and yoga mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. that's not the case well you um, see like on apple the the like spirituality mindfulness app portion of yeah. like the website is and it's is like a billion massive. dollar industry right. like it's huge um and the reason why it's making so much money is because it's i mean like it it like fits within like the capitalist framework in mm-hmm. my mind like yeah it's been commercialized um, yeah and like it it like it, it's been shown to like enhance productivity yeah. of workers um which um to me is not the point um but i i don't think like that definitely wasn't the point originally um and forever for whatever it's worth to go back to those origins and and i'm 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 really not an expert on buddhism but like um, when I went to th- this conference that I mentioned in my, my next article that, that we can talk about in a bit, um, I heard someone do a presentation, um, who is a PhD student who is, who's researching this, but he was talking about how, um, this kind of depoliticization is pretty antithetical to the roots of, of meditation itself because it was pretty political and, and challenged class divides and like gender, um, gender categories and like hierarchies and I think um like it also was like a really communal act and I think doing it as an individual is like it's a very western thing to or like American thing to do is to like take these things and individualize them and I think what um interests me about uh religion is like how it kind of um it's it's communal and like I think it kind of goes against like um a lot of what uh we're taught about like like I don't know, like, a very American value is, is like, being an individual and, like, um, I think, like, I I think going to church, like, reminds me of, like, the community that surrounds me, and I think that's been really important to me. Um, But, yeah. Yeah. Do you, like, I don't know, maybe moving in the green direction, are there, like, do you feel like there are particular, like, benefits to, like, certain religious practices and, and in terms of like the realm of, sorry, let me rephrase. Um, what do you see as some of the benefits of like practicing religious values in, in the realm of environmentalism specifically? Like, and if they have, like, if they subscribe to a particular religion or Mm -hmm. ideology, does that make sense? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, Interestingly enough, so I went to this conference at the Yale Divinity School um, a couple of weekends ago, and um, it was about this intersection of religion and ecology, and um, it, w- it was pretty, like, Christian-centric. Um, so I, I'd heard a, f- a few different talks from, like, indigenous people and, like, um, from the perspective of, like, East, East Asian um, religious practices, too, but... I think, uh, I, I had most grounding in the Christian context. Mm -hmm. So I think, um, I don't know, like, I just remember going to this workshop, um, or like this breakout session with a woman who was talking about like how, um, the Bible kind of inspires, um, us to have empathy for the earth Mm -hmm. and, um, refers to the earth as like thou, um, which is interesting. Like the, like, or, like, not just the earth as a whole, but, like, animals and plants, and, um, I think that's really interesting, um, and you see that, too, in, like, Judaism as well, um, like, I heard this presentation from someone who kind of, 
uh, derived the word, um, the Hebrew word for um, earth is Adama. And mm. the root of the, yeah, I don't know if Eduardo said this, yeah, but like the root of the it. word is, he got this from me, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> He's still that. <laughs> well, I stole it from this guy. So, but yeah, so the root of the word is, is Adam, knowledge. which is which is human. So um, th- this idea that like we come from uh, dust, the dust of the earth. Mm. Um, and so that's really interesting. Um, and um, in, in some indigenous traditions too, like this whole... Um, concept of like I was mentioning like using pronouns to refer or like um yeah like 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 a thou in the bible would be like um like using pronouns to refer to um like nature um like in in braiding sweetgrass um the author Robin Wall Kimmer talks about um not just like referring to plants as it um or like a tree as it but um I think there's like a special pronoun that that they use to mm-hmm. in in her particular tradition used to refer to to plants and stuff. So I think it gets back to this whole identi- idea of like having empathy for for the earth and its creatures and inhabitants and seeing ourselves as 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 those creatures and inhabitants too. Um, but I do want to say that, like, it can go the other way. Like, I think in Christianity especially, like, there's a passage in Genesis that, like, talks about, um, man having dominion over the earth, and I think that has definitely been, uh, used as a tool to, like, for environmental destruction and also oppression of, like, Native Americans too, especially during the early stages of colonization. Um, so it, it's hard because it's like you can you can interpret it as that. Um, but I think especially Pope Francis talks about that in his encyclical about like reframing that passage mm-hmm. um, and like seeing other other parts of the Bible too that that say quite the opposite mm-hmm. um, of like having humility and like uh, yeah like being being part like humans coming from this this dust of the earth. So yeah. That's kind of interesting, the, like, bit that you mentioned about sort of, like, giving maybe, like, more agency or, like, um, sort of, like, naming things that, like, are not human. Mm Because my mind just immediately jumped to, like, so many of my science classes are always, like, do not, um, like... Anthropomorphic. Yeah. Like, Mm. like, it's, like, the the worst, (laughs) like, it's not actually (laughs) the worst thing you could do, but, like... There, I feel like it, it had definitely been drilled into me, especially in, like, high school science, that you shouldn't, like, sort of um, anthropomorphize certain, like, sort of, like, natural phenomena mm. or, or particular organisms. Yeah. Um, which I, I think is kind of interesting. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Like, well, then on the flip side of that, you also have, like, movements to um, reframe natural objects however we want to refer to them um <laughs> subjects subjects yeah, well so there's well, this, with agency there's right? this like quote from this guy thomas berry that i heard at the conference who's like the sort of like the grandfather of this religion and ecology thing who who has this quote about like referring or thinking of the earth as a collection of subjects rather than a collection of objects hmm. which sort of like mm-hmm. reframes how how we see the earth and and its subjects yeah, yeah. right yeah and i mean there have been particular movements to to put that into legislation mm-hmm. to to reframe from object to subject in in the realm of like uh, a political landscape. Like there's one of I, one of the most famous cases would be the one of the rivers in New Zealand was oh. 
um, named and given uh, the same political rights in mm-hmm. in much as the same way cool. as we don't have to get into this, but like you know, Citizens United uh, yeah. giving corporations agency as human beings mm-hmm. as people mm-hmm. is yeah. done the same for for a river, mm-hmm. yeah. and I don't know that that. For me, that that is especially impactful because it happens on a large a large scale, like a, a scale that affects everyone um, through this government agency. Really, yeah. I don't know. I, yeah. I, I just find that especially impactful. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, in going back to your writing, um, in your first article, you talk about worship of uh, of various sorts. Um, <laughs> And so one of our questions was, we're interested to know how you balance the, this idea in, in academia and higher ed institutions where, where we worship the brain, mm. where knowledge is, is the pinnacle um, of existence, basically. And um, within a religious context, that's, that's also sort of uh, reframed. So coming from... Coming from both backgrounds how do you how do you sort of balance those two i'm really glad you asked me this question because no one has like asked me about that that that's the one thing that no one has really like touched on upon like when they comment on my column um instead they like have a very intellectual conversation with me about my column and i'm like (laughs) well that's that's kind of not the point (laughs) um but yeah i mean it's hard because i i do i I do like me some good intellectual conversations um (laughs) but i think like it's interesting because, like, as a senior, I think um, I'm kind of reflecting on my experiences at Bowdoin and and thinking about, like, what has shaped me here. And, like, I think while it has been extremely important um, to, like, have, like I said, like, intellectual <coughs> conversations with friends, um, whether inside the classroom or, like, outside the classroom, like, and, sh- like, sharpening our brains and, like, thinking better and, and all that kind of good stuff, um, I do f- sort of feel like it um, overshadows conversations that are more, like, soulful. Like, I, th- I think, mm-hmm. like, people kind of, like, look down on, on those conversations as being either irrational or too sentimental or, like... Um, and I think, like, especially, like, just religion as a whole, I think people kind of have this, like... Um, I don't know, like I say, like, at best, they like, this is what I say in the column, is, like, at best, it's kind of this, like, social construction, and at worst, it's, like, a disease, mm. um, and that people that have this disease are, are not rational, and, like, um, it kind of goes against this, this, um, this idea, like, what you're saying of, like, intellect being end-all be-all, um, but I think there's a way to have both, like, I, I certainly think that, like, um, that there's a way to stimulate your mind, and at the same time, to like um, have conversations or like a- about religion or like practice religion um, in whatever way that's meaningful to you and and um, I don't know I think I think that's just something I'm reflecting on as as a, as a senior mm-hmm. um, who has spent four years here. So. Yeah, yeah. You talk about you know your statuses in your last year year here and thinking about the advice that yeah. you can impart. That's that <laughs> seems like a pretty valuable piece of it because it's it's not a conversation that's often had on Bowdoin campus, I think. Um yeah. or it's or it's isolated to right. specific groups and times mm-hmm. when people have that conversation. Well and I, I think it's interesting, like I don't know like what your thoughts are on this, Marie, but like 
um, how, I mean, there definitely is like a movement at Bowdoin towards like this idea of mindfulness. And um, I, I got this, I got this email from the, the track coach um, <laughs> who was like um, complimenting me on my article and like kind of brought up this point of like, I think a lot of people, it seems like a lot of people are like searching for um like ways to practice mindfulness or like counsel counseling at Bowdoin, mm-hmm. but like sort of religion being a, f- a form of that. Um, and I think that, that could, that could be a really important part of the conversation. Like we have this whole schedule for, um, mindless, mindfulness and meditation activities that go on throughout the week, um, including Marie's yoga class. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> um, but I, I don't know. I think what's, inter- what's so interesting is like, so Sundays like have traditionally been like my day to like do something like, you know, like go to church or something, but like, it's kind of cool that I could be like, okay, I can go to yoga at three. <laughs> I can go to church at five, Catholic <laughs> church at five. I could go to Unitarian Universalist church at 10 AM if I want to get up that early. Um, but it's, it's, I don't know, like it's, it's kind of cool <laughs> to be funny. like, wow, I, I can do all of those things. And like all of those things can matter and like be ways that like mm-hmm. I, I find that sort of tap into that like fulfillment that I'm looking for and I think like a lot of people on campus are looking for that and I think religion should be part of that conversation not that like we shouldn't go to yoga and that we shouldn't do med- meditation and mindfulness but like um that we shouldn't just like stop there if we mm-hmm. like I think adding adding religion to the conversation yeah. would be helpful yeah and yeah. I think that importantly your your first column points to like not a not a demonizing of of yoga or meditation, but rather just a, a, a fuller conceptualization of like what this, yeah. what those practices mean. Yeah. 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 It's kind of interesting. I've been teaching yoga for a couple of years now and have like sort of going back to the like appropriation thing. It's like something that I, I consider sometimes in terms of like, what music do I play? Is it better if I just, I've been recently thinking about this more, but like, do I like, somebody came up to me and was like, you know, I really appreciate that you didn't play music because sometimes people will play like chants and like not even know what the chants mean. Mm-hmm. And it just feels really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Or like an EDM beat overlaid yeah. <laughs> with yeah. this like gong in the background. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. I think it's like complicated and I don't necessarily want to get to a point where I'm like paralyzed by the decision mm-hmm. that I might like sort of antagonize um, a person who might find yoga like helpful and beneficial and just like interesting for them um but yeah it's there are a lot of like choices to be made in terms of like um there is this whole practice out there that i just like don't have Mm -hmm. full exposure to and then like what do you choose to incorporate into your um like practice or not um and i i like I try to, like, learn some of the, like, Sanskrit names and, like, sort of, like, mm-hmm. learn a little bit about, like, the stories behind some of the poses and just, like, more generally um, all the things. But then it's, like, I'm not I'm not an expert on this. Like, yeah. how much do I, yeah. like, do, what, what, what proportion or, like, not, not that it's, like, a mm-hmm. percentage thing, but, like, how do I impart some of that? Mm-hmm. Um, within like a class context where mm. I'm like supposedly mm-hmm. the, the yeah. leader here. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I just think like what you're getting at is like, it, it is kind of, like, there is this blurry line yeah. between like what is sec- secular and spiritual versus like mm-hmm. what's religious. And I yeah. think 
it might just start with just like reframing it as a not not a binary like yeah. i think well, mm. oftentimes w- this term like spiritual but not religious frames it as a binary mm. like it, it frames it at this like dichotomy like you either are spiritual and secular or like religious but like what you're kind of getting at is like yeah like there are these like religious origins and like um cultural origins too which um maybe are really important to integrate mm-hmm. so yeah yeah, yeah. i kind of feel like what you're getting at there is is what you talk about in the column, which is um, your own exploration. Like, this is, it's not a, I don't know, one set and done, like, mm-hmm. this is what it is. It's a it's a process for exploration yeah. and finding out, like, what that means. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Sure enough. Um, um, yeah, okay, so maybe let's look. I feel like we've been talking about this column a bunch, <laughs> but I was wondering if you wanted to maybe, like, read an excerpt of it. Um, well, yeah, so this is my, um, I think we've mostly been talking about my uh, my first column, but yeah. this is my second column, which we are getting a sneak peek of because <laughs> not even been published yet. Wow. Um, <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's, it's mostly done. It just has to be edited. Um Perks of a green tea podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Exclusive accessing yeah. content. If you, if you could edit this for me afterwards, that'd be great. <laughs> um, so this one I have tentatively titled, um, but the title could change. Um, I call it Casting My Lot in the Age of Climate Change. Um, and that, that phrase, Casting My Lot, comes from this poem that um, is one of my favorite poems, and my two of my favorite people in the whole world, my uh, uh, teacher couple from my <laughs> my high school that teaches this class together called Community Activism, um, would recite to our class. Um, and it's a poem by Audrey and Rich. Um, it goes, My heart is moved by all I cannot save. So much has been destroyed. I have to cast my lot with those who age after age, perversely, with no extraordinary power, reconstitute the world. And that's a poem that I actually have memorized. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm just looking at you to to show you that I didn't have it. <laughs> not reading. Thanks for helping us out um, with this audio <laughs> format. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I recently was reminded of this poem when I went to this conference um, where the, uh, well, the, the woman who's like the founder of this, like, um, this field of religion and ecology recited this poem and I was like oh my god and like <laughs> recited it like mouthed it along with her as she was saying um, <laughs> but um she she was kind of using the poem as like a backdrop for the conference um and like thinking about these questions of like um these like really difficult questions of like in in an age where we like see so much destruction in the world um and like our, or in an age where we're we're faced increasingly with with this crisis of climate cha- change and like um, the repercussions for that in the future, um, like what do we do? Like <laughs> how do we go forward? And I think the the poem like captures a lot of like the emotions that I think come along with that, and like maybe raises questions for like what the role that spirituality plays and like faith. Um, and so I kind of explore that poem in my uh, column um yeah um i can kind of read uh an excerpt from from the column which actually comes in the last paragraph um and the the this paragraph is like responding to a conversation that i 
well, it wasn't a conversation that I had, but a conversation that I kind of heard between, um, a back and forth I heard between a couple of people at the conference. Um, one, like, a person just, like, kind of posed the question of, like, what do we do in the face of capitalism, like, rampant capital capitalism and, like, climate change? Like, um, how, how do we go forward? Um, and this, like, indigenous woman who had given the keynote lecture, um, her response was that we should... Um, look to indigenous people and like um, as a people who has already experienced their apocalypse mm. like they experienced genocide like um, thinking about like what kind of things that we can learn from them um, and and her point was just like we just kept going like we just got to keep going <laughs> forward like take one step at a time kind of thing um, so okay so the the I can read the, um, the paragraph um I say climate change is just the latest apocalypse. The only difference is that it will affect everyone, even those who have historically had the privilege of being spared. Walking down this road is a deep, deeply spiritual journey that tests our limits of compassion for each other and for the earth. The good, the good news is people have already walked this road, each step forward being an act of faith, hope, courage, and perverse resistance. Mm. Let us look to them and let them lead. Um, so yeah, kind of, kind of unpacking what, what the woman had said as far as like, um, indigenous people already experiencing this sort of apocalypse as as well as like um, I, I mentioned like African Americans and enslavement and uh, also um, Jews in the apocalypse or sorry the, the holocaust <laughs> being like a sort of apocalypse um, and how like we can kind of like with climate change like thinking of it as like yes it's a new challenge but like mm. um, it's not actually that new if like people mm. have sort of experienced um, kind of stuff of this caliber f before. Um, so yeah, I mean, in some senses, this is kind of just like me putting, putting out there like kind of messy thoughts, but I'm curious what people will think of it. Um, but yeah, it's just something that had impacted me when I, when I went to this conference. Mm. Yeah. It, it seems like in a, in a moment of despair. Yeah. Despair. That moment. spirituality and religion can offer a lot more than science and statistics mm -hmm. yeah. as we as we sort of yeah. alluded to and talked about with Eduardo. Yeah, absolutely. I think um we it seems like there's this like really dominant world view um in America and in the West more broadly that like really puts conversations about like the economy and like numbers and like quote unquote objective things um at the center and I think um I think there's this need for like recentering like whatever you want to call it like ethics or morality or spirituality or religion um like kind of recentering that as as the center of our conversation because I think um like that that could have really big imp implications for like how we heal in like these like really trying times and like dealing with with things like despair and hopelessness um so Wait, j when you were bringing up this that that um, poem, I I this like little quote that's um, posted on the printers in the Rue Center. <laughs> I just thought of it because I thought it was pretty. Um, it's E. B. White, um, who's this like wonderful environmental writer um, who lived in Maine actually. I think in like the forties and fifties, and maybe later than that. Um, but the, the little quote on the printer is, every morning I wake torn between the desire to save the world and an inclination to savor it. 
This mm. makes it hard to plan the day. But if we forget to savor the world, what possible reason do we have for saving it? In a way, the savoring must come first. Um, and I just thought that was, like, so lovely and interesting. <laughs> um, yeah. But, yeah, kind of going back to maybe, like, finding a sense of community and, like, um, sort of, like, having something to, like, work towards, maybe? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, well, because the first line of, of the poem I, I uh, recited was, like, my heart is moved by all I cannot save. So, like, this idea mm -hmm. that, like, yeah, I, I'm so torn because, like, I want to save the world, but, like, I, like, I mean, first of all, I can only do so much as yeah. an individual, and second of all, like, I mean, I don't know how much, like, there's a lot of things that we've already lost and, like, yeah. can't save. Um, yeah. So, like, savoring what is left? <laughs> um, <laughs> it sounds cynical, but, like, I think it's it's not. Like, it's it, there's a lot of hope in, like, in what you're saying. Hmm. Yeah. How do you, how do you like personally find maybe more hope or I don't know like I, I yeah how do you, how like I guess how would you find hope looking forward in in the context of sort of some of the things we've been talking about I think yeah I think that's like like kind of what I was trying to get at in my column was like I think how I find hope is just by like looking to people who have, like, sort of already experienced this, or, like, um, like, I think, like, this, this indigenous woman, like, making the point of, like, look to indigenous people, like, I think it brings me a lot of hope to, like, um, to think about, like, the, that, like, resiliency that's inherent in, like, just the fact that, like, they survived genocide, like, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty amazing, um, and gives me a lot of hope. I, I, and I, when I was writing this column, I didn't mention this, but, like, um, I studied abroad in Bolivia, and I worked, uh, my independent research I did in an indigenous community and um, wrote this children's book, um, and the, the, the uh, kind of premise of the children's book was to kind of write about, like, resili resiliency in the face of climate change, and um, the plot is, like, this, like, little girl who, like, is trying to help her community put on this, like, I guess you'd call it, like, a farmer's market, um, like, a feria, and, like, um, but, like, climate change gets in the way, and there's this, like, uh, there's this drought, and then there's, like, this plague of, like, aphids, and, and all this stuff happens, and they have to try to come together and, like, figure out how to still put on this fair, and it sort of, like, is, like, we were trying to tell a story that was, like, a microcosm for, like, this idea that, like, how do we find resilience in the face of climate change? And um, kind of indigenous people, I think, have a lot of a lot of answers that we have yet to kind of like tap into. I mean, that sounds extractive, but like I think like looking to indigenous people to like learn about um, what does resiliency look like, like that kind of stuff gives me a lot of hope. Like mm -hmm. I I haven't gotten my children's books yet. Um, they've they've been published. Where there's just like a big holdup in like getting them here, but. I'm so excited to, like, see them and um, give them to people. Um, got got some people who had requested some. So that kind of stuff just, like, gives me a lot of hope. Um, that's just one example. But I think um, also just, like, I think I'm searching for, for, for a, a religious community that I can tap into also that will help me find hope. Um, I, one of the, my favorite things about going to church is... Um, uh, or Catholic services are especially are um, just like singing together. Like I think 
that's always really uplifting for me. Um, and there's this other like ritual that we kind of do where like we say peace to each other, um, like out, at a point during mass. Um, so just like, I don't know, like shaking hands with someone and like looking at them in the eye and saying peace be with you is like, I don't know. It's always been like my favorite part of, of mass. Um, and I think I don't know, that kind of stuff just like, I, I really appreciate and like gives me hope. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess rounding it out to the topic and goal of our own radio show. <laughs> um, you always have an ulterior motive. Always. <laughs> um, we're wondering what sustainability means to you in, in light of all your experiences and, and this conversation in particular. Mm, what a great question. <laughs> Want to appreciate that question? Thank for you. A we appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of that um, question. I, I think, yeah. In in light of what we we just talked about, I think sustainability to me has to be like I think we have to stretch the definition a little bit, like and think outside the box a little bit in terms of thinking of it as um, sustaining ourselves as as people not as like not as like individual like siloed individuals but like as as a community um sustainability is like seeing that community as 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 part of um like ecological communities and seeing those kind of like intrinsic um like connections between us and the earth um and when we when we change our mindset to, to think of it like that, um, I think that is what engenders sustainability. Um, like thinking of longevity and, and thinking of um, not just the survival of the human species, but like, I don't know, the survival of all species and um, not only survival, but like being able to thrive on earth alongside yeah. our kin, our, <laughs> our, tr- our, our fellow trees and and ants and <laughs> all, all the things on earth yeah savoring it yeah and savoring all that yeah yeah it's a sunny day outside so you gotta let me go so. <laughs> <laughs> well with that thank yeah. you so much Lori. yeah and just savor the sunlight <laughs> thank you so much no this is this is great i'm so glad that that y'all take the time to like read my article and like ask me really really thoughtful questions about it <laughs> so yeah thank you Throughout the 2019-2020 academic year, we will be broadcasting on Brunswick's own radio station, WBOR 91.1, Mondays from 3 to 4 p.m. Each episode featuring live interviews with Brunswick and Bowdoin community members will be available the following Friday on the sustainability website at bowdoin.edu slash sustainability under the green tea tab. There you can also find show notes, photos, and descriptions of past episodes. And we are currently looking for new stories to share through green tea. If you would like to share what sustainability means to you, please email me, Marie, at mscaspar at bowdoin.edu. That's M-S-C-A-S-P-A-R at bowdoin.edu to get in touch. We're exceptionally excited to keep things rolling throughout season two. Tune in next week for our live interview with Toby Tarpinian, the owner of Morning Glory Natural Foods in Brunswick, as we talk about the meaning of buying local and the importance of sustainability to a community. And as always, thanks Thanks for for listening. listening.